This episode of I'm Horrified is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Go to audibletrial.com horrified to get your free audiobook and start listening. It's that easy. Right now, I'm listening to Going Clear by Lawrence Wright, which pairs perfectly with our Scientology segment in episode 6. And I'm listening to The Rogue Not Taken by Sarah McLean, a sizzling romance novel for those who enjoyed episode 49. So head to audibletrial.com slash horrified to start your free trial now. Happy listening! Don't say wow yet. Hello, everybody. Hi, listeners. Welcome to episode 67. Woo! Oh, we are just old withered crones. I know. We started this podcast. We were young. We were virile. I know. Especially because it was somebody's birthday recently. Woo! It was mine. It was Sam's birthday. It was your birthday pretty recently, too. Yeah. We're both ancient wizened crones now. We're both Gemini cusps. We're both Gemini cusps, but the opposite cusp. Wait, that's beautiful. Hold my hands. I've never thought about that before. (laughs) We, it's like, we're similar, but we're different. Like, we're connected. We're complementary. We're not identical. What she's trying to say is that I'm a Taurus Gemini cusp, and she is a uh, Gemini Cancer cusp. Yeah. Um, Was that not obvious by the rambling? What that means to me is that we're both emotional creatures who are dead inside at our core. Yeah. I don't trust Gemini's. But I also don't trust myself. So <laughs> well, that makes a lot of sense then. That makes a lot of sense. But I own so many blankets, mm. which makes me a Taurus. There you go. And you cry a lot, which makes you I cancer. I don't <laughs> cry that much anymore. Oh, yeah. You don't cry. Actually, actually you're no, not I a hate cri- to cry. I take that back. You're not a crier. You just have so many feelings that I assume that you're a crier, but you're not a crier. I'm actually not a crier, but I do have eight feelings per minute. Yeah. I'm the crier. Yeah. I cry every second of every day. I hate crying more than anything in the world. Yeah. I've only seen Sam cry a couple of times, and I've had to, like, force it out of her. Yeah. Like, I think you need to cry. And she's like, no, I don't. And you stick to your guns. I do. But, like, any it's moment... It's very uncancer of you. Yeah, but I will say the cancer thing about me is that, like, once you're my friend, I'm like, hey, do you want to hear every thought and feeling that I had today? And yeah. you're like, no. And I'm like, so it started at 8 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> and every time you, like, flicker your eyes, I just see this hint of, like, is anyone mad at me right now? Like, that's very, like... Am I That's upsetting anyone? That's so me. That's a huge Sam mood. Oh, So this wow. has been the I'm Horrified Astrology Corner. <laughs> we should do um, astrology readings on ourselves, but only the shitty parts of ourselves. I think so. And that should be an episode. Maybe yeah. we can do that. Again, Allie, we're on episode 67. Episode 69 is rapidly approaching. I know. How are we going to sex it up for that? We have to sex it up. I'll have, have to find no a ideas. really sexy topic. You will too. Something upsetting and sexy. <laughs> like you're horny but like you're disgusted with yourself like kylo ren that's a segue <laughs> the for surprise you. you guys that's a segue we're gonna talk about that but first what are you gonna talk about in this episode al i'm gonna talk about something awful <laughs> it's it's like the most awful thing you could th- that anyone could think of and it did happen oh no um, i'm gonna talk about amelia dyer and baby farming so that's not just like babies but they're in straw hats a wacky nanny <laughs> No. I mean, in a sense, she was a pretty wacky nanny, but oh God. Uh, it's it's the worst thing. I think it's probably the worst thing I've ever talked about on this podcast. Wow. And you talked about people eating each other. Yeah, it's worse. Well, <laughs> it's worse than that, I think. 
Um, Sam, what are you going to talk about? Just kidding, I know what it is, and I'm so excited, but tell Um, them. So a couple weeks ago, you guys, um, I don't even remember how it came up. We made a callous joke, and now it's reality. (laughs) But we were like, we were talking about ships, and we were talking about Dramini and Zutara. Oh, it was because we were talking about Avatar. That's why, yeah. uh, It was a few weeks ago, and we talked about those things, and then I was like, it's like an interesting phenomenon, like this Dramini paradox. Uh, so we coined it, so I'm going to talk about it. Today we talk about the Dramini Paradox. And, um, you know, our academic papers are forthcoming. Absolutely. When we start to patent the, the literary term. Yeah, do not use, if you hear someone else say Dramini Paradox, you have my permission to kill them. Because we that's have the our... patent paperwork here. We haven't sent it in yet. <laughs> this we is haven't gotten the stamp. <laughs> but just get away from it. All right. Let's get be- through this. I think that first. it's I think it's good that I'm talking about something pretty stupid cuz it seems like with you we're about to uh get harsh. This will maybe be the third time I've ever cried in front of you. So I let's think, go. I think if we talk about this then if later on we talk about like Snape Hermione fan fiction, <laughs> it won't seem as bad. We'll be like, maybe those two crazy kids could have found love. I'll still feel really bad. No, I still hate that. Um, let's talk about this let's thing. Just, let's just do it. <laughs> um, so, I thought that we would keep this week super light. <laughs> Easy breezy cover girl with the subject of baby murders. <laughs> That's they what we're going to talk about. Yep, I thought that probably they fun? were sound fun yeah yeah what, what everyone loves on a monday morning <laughs> i know shout out to the one of the best people i know my good friend rachel fan of the podcast um hi rachel she suggested this truly awful topic so she suggested it via email and then she also tweeted it at us <laughs> so she was serious she was like i think she might have texted me about it too so she was like you gotta tell the people about this so rachel i'm doing it so direct your hate tweets at her i was not gonna me. i was gonna say rachel my question would be why <laughs> why are you so interested in this babe <laughs> all right and also obvious trigger warnings. I'm going to talk about the murder of young children in fair detail. I'm not going to get into like detail detail, but that's the topic this week. I'm not going to judge you if you just skip ahead to the Dramini stuff. And it's going to be very similar to Nanny Doss and the Magdalene Laundries. So Mm -hmm. if you're just bored of me talking about that kind of stuff... You could listen to you talk about it in a different context in that episode, or me drunk talk about something. Just skip ahead. Basically, (laughs) just don't listen to this. What we're saying, you guys, is... I'm saying I'm going to talk in a cavalier way about children being murdered, (laughs) and if you're going to then judge me for that, I don't want... I don't even want you here. Um, But it was in the 1800s. Like, I'm not interested in being... Like, oh no. I, like, of course, oh no. Of course. <laughs> like, that, from this point on, it's like, yes, of obviously. Course. Oh no. Murdering babies is bad. Not gonna say that again. We get it. I feel so callous already. People hey, are like, no. wow. I'm glad that we're on the record as a podcast that murdering babies is bad. Most of the time. All right. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's always. Okay. So, Amelia Dyer is also known as the Ogress of Reading. I. That's also what they call me. (laughs) Or the Redding Baby Farmer. (laughs) And she is one of the most prolific serial killers of the Victorian age. Yikes. Now, I've said the term baby farmer about twice now. Yeah. So a bunch of you are probably thinking, what in the good Lord's name does that mean? Again, I was hoping it involved tiny straw hats. Wrong. (laughs) It might have, but that makes it worse. (laughs) Makes it more specific and horrible. You need to dissociate from whatever this is about. Like, you need to make it, like, kind of cartoonish, because it's it's grisly. <laughs> but I will tell you what it means, but not right now. We gotta get to some historical backstory first. At last! Every time we do something in, in the past, it's like, this person was born. Yep. 
blah, blah, blah. So Dyer was born in 1836 in Pyle Marsh, which is east of Bristol, England. And it doesn't seem like her childhood was all that bad. I feel like every time you look at a serial killer, you're like, oh my god, how did they do this? And then it's like, their dad stuck pins in them when they were two, and it's like, oh, that. Yeah, fair enough then. That's why they're like that. Um, But she, yeah, her dad made shoes. She spent her days reading and learning about poetry. She was the youngest of five siblings. To be fair, her mother died violently of typhus. But that's just, like, the 1800s. Yeah, that's not that special back then. Yeah, that doesn't even seem, like, that sad. (laughs) All our classmates would be like, all our moms died of typhus. Yeah, my mom and dad died of typhus. You get to keep one. But, like, yeah, no. I just feel like everyone in the 1800s was walking around and someone would be like, oh, I'm having such a bad day. And the other person would be like, of course you're having a bad day. Like, it's the 1800s. Um, No one's had a good day yet. We won't get a good day until, like, 1910. Yeah, what would a good day even consist of? I I can't even conceive of it. (laughs) Um, so that happened, and her mom, like, goes crazy because of the illness. Those are Wikipedia's words, not mine. I think it, like, kind of drives her mad, and Amelia has to care for her while she's having these violent fits, and apparently it screws her up a lot. I don't think that's an excuse for all the other stuff I'm about to say. Probably not. Just grease (laughs) in the pan, all right? But anywho, she grows up a little, works as a corset maker, marries a man 35 years her senior. Classic 1800 stuff. Etc., etc. <laughs> Eventually, she becomes a nurse, and she cares for sick people and also helps with childbirth. And this is when she meets a midwife named Ellen Dane. Now, Ellen turns Amelia on to a hip new trend called baby farming. What this is is that you act as a nurse who is willing to care for children for a price. So sometimes the children are illegitimate, and some, or sometimes the mothers are just too poor to care for their baby. Mm-hmm. Fontaine from Les Miserables style. There you go. But the point is that there were women at this time who would say, you give me 10 pounds, 5 pounds, and I'll take your child in, and that's that. And I'm a nurse, and I have a husband, and... Mm-hmm. They'll be fine. They'll be better cared for with me than with you. Just give me money to care for them, either a lump sum or give me a payment every month, and I will care for them and you don't have to. Sometimes if the family was rich, they could charge up to, like, 80 pounds or so. Nice. Um, If it was, like, a saucy, Mm -hmm. like, a young daughter of a prominent family gets... A bastard begot upon her. Yeah, a bastard begot upon her, and she's like, I need to get rid of this babe. Where shall I put it? Um, And... There's just, like, an old lady who's like, oh, okay, for the child. (laughs) That's Amelia now. Okay. Um, So after her ancient husband dies, she's left with her daughter, and this all sounds pretty great to her. So I talked a little bit about mother and baby homes during the episode I did on the Magdalene Laundries, and I wanted to do an episode about mother and baby homes in general, but then I was like, it's too similar to the Magdalene Laundries, but now I'm doing this episode, so it's kind of a wash. So that was similar, but a little bit different. Mother and baby homes were run by the church, mm-hmm. and nuns mostly, and they took in girls and women who were pregnant illegitimately, and they would care for the mothers until they gave birth, albeit not very well, but they would care for them, quote unquote. And then when their babies were born, they would keep the babies and kick the mothers out onto mm-hmm. the street. And many of these babies died from illness and neglect. Some were raised, in a sense, until adulthood, and some were adopted by wealthier families. 
It has to be said that oftentimes the neglect or abuse in these places amounted to murder in its own right. Yeah. (laughs) Also, often the mothers who were put in these places desperately wanted to keep their children Mm -hmm. and were refused from doing so. Yeah. Um, so that's mother and baby homes. They're awful, but different. They ran under the guise of legitimacy. Mm-hmm. And, like, so did baby farming, but it was more obviously illegal. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. <laughs> this is all bad, but it's just yeah. different. Yes. Uh, so baby farming was much more murdery, if you can believe it. In this instance, oftentimes a mother would come either pregnant or with her newborn child and of her own volition say, I cannot care for this child, or I can't care for them right now. Mm-hmm. So they would either give their baby over or give their baby over for care while they worked to try and build up savings to provide for them. Mm-hmm. A few reasons why this was happening. The 1834 Poor Law Amendment Act released fathers of illegitimate children in England of any financial obligations toward their child. Ugh. So that's awesome. (laughs) I mean, I say England, but I'm sure it was like that everywhere. Yeah. I don't think it was ever a good place to be an unwed mother. Even now, it's like you, you get no support. Yeah. So also, that being said, there was a huge stigma towards being an unwed mother, and some people just... That would keep you from getting a job that could help you support you and your kid. Or maybe you just had a child and you didn't want to keep them. That's also Mm -hmm. fine. Overwhelmingly, circumstance forced these women and children into this position. So you go to this lady who has an ad in the paper that says something like, you know, nurse, you know, loving mother, wife and mother, Mm -hmm. nurse, some amalgamation of that, willing to take in unwanted children. Mm -hmm. You see that ad. Or she responds to your ad saying, I'm seeking a person to take my baby, or you hear about it on the street. However you guys get together, you approach this woman and you think, okay, this is where I'm going to leave my child either forever or just for a while. And then what happens is the most horrific thing anyone could imagine. Oftentimes there would be so many babies under the care of one of these nurses that there is no way that they could all be provided for. So children would more often than not just be neglected and ultimately succumb to starvation or disease. Sometimes they would sedate these children with opioids. Oh, my gosh. um, Which is a thing that actually mothers kind of did. Like, you would use low doses of opioids as, like, a binky. Yeah. (laughs) Just kind of give it to children to make them be quiet. Boy, the times have changed. So this is obviously tragic Mm -hmm. and unspeakably evil. However... Amelia Dyer thought, let's take this a step further. (laughs) Let's take this a step further. She was like, hold my beer. Yeah, already the worst (laughs) thing a person could do. She thought, let's just cut to the chase and murder them. Let's murder everyone. Let's murder anyone who comes in here. Mailman not, like, leaving something at the door? Let's murder them. Let's just kill him. So she started out in the kind of classic way of just kind of neglecting these children and then decided... Not fast enough. Let's get yeah. up a notch. And so begins the career of the Ogress of Reading. Oh, my God. At some point during all of this, she marries a man named Thomas Dyer, and they have two children. She eventually leaves that husband but kept the name, and she didn't murder any of her own children. So, props, I guess. Love that for, for her, that. I guess. Good on that alone. <laughs> so, at first, when the babies would pass away, she would call the coroner and be like, I don't know what happened, and I, like, pretend to be sad, and the coroner was like, hey, whatever, it's the 1800s. Mm-hmm. 
obviously children are dying. That's the only thing that's happening right now. But then eventually the coroner was like, even for the 1800s, (laughs) this is a lot. This is a wild failure rate we have. So the doctor who was producing all of these death certificates reported this lady to the authorities. And Amelia wound up spending a, a whopping six months in prison, not for murder, but for neglect. Because she, she was saying, like... Yeah, she was like, well, I'm a nurse, oops. and they got sick, and yeah. blah, 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 and so six months. She gets out of jail, and she immediately gets back on the grind, placing ads in newspapers, using an alias this time. She's oh, going to be a little more careful. She starts farming more babies than ever, and if parents come back for their child, she just gives them whatever child she has. Like, she'll <laughs> give them a different child. Oh my god. Which is, like, so... It's so fucked up. Like, I, I can't know. even... Like, how do you even think of that? Mm-hmm. Like, I just... You're like, which of you in here is about two years old? You? Yeah. Here's Thomas. There you go. I can't... So this is when she realizes that calling the coroner at this point is a no-go. Cannot do that. She's gonna get caught again. So she bypasses that completely and from now on disposes of the bodies herself. Oh, God. So she and her family continuously moved cities and changed their aliases to maintain anonymity. So her daughter and her son-in-law, her daughter's husband, are now grown at this point, like, in their 20s. And they're in on it? They're in on it. Oh, my God. It's not known how in on it they are, Mm -hmm. but Polly, her daughter, was definitely, like, farming with her. Like, she was part of it. So that's horrible. She also used to periodically pretend to have nervous breakdowns and stay in asylums to avoid getting caught. Like, if the jig was getting up, Mm -hmm. she would pretend to have a breakdown and get put into asylum. She used to work in asylums, so she kind of had an in, and also she could get drugs in there, which is another reason why she wanted to go. So she was, like, asylum hopping. (laughs) So that's a fun fact. She was, but this is the thing. She was also a serial murderer, so she was probably the craziest person in there. Yeah. Especially because back then they'd throw a woman into an asylum for, like, wearing pants or yeah. learning the alphabet too fast. True. Any reason. Any reason they could. You guys seen Changeling with Angelina Jolie? No. They maybe have, but I haven't. All right. That's <laughs> what, I'm, what I'm referring to. Okay. Uh, but ultimately, like most serial mass murderers, Dyer is caught. Yay! Thank God. Good. I'll let all that's interesting.com tell you the rest, which is where I get a lot of my research, actually. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because anytime there's something fucked up, they've got, they're like, isn't this interesting? And I'm like, yeah, that's why I decided to cover yeah. it. Quote In March of 1896, a bargeman floating down the Thames fished a carpet bag out of the river. Inside, he found the tiny body of a baby girl wrapped in package wrapping paper. One savvy police officer noticed a name, almost faded, written on a corner of the paper, Mrs. Thomas, as well as an address. (gasps) The address was Amelia Dyer's, and though police were led to her by the body, they still couldn't link her to the crime, so they set up a trap. Using a young woman as a decoy, they had her place an ad for a baby needing a good home. Dyer responded and set up a meeting with the woman, only to walk into a police ambush. Nice. After searching her home... Police discovered the scent of human decomposition, dressmaker's tape, much like the kind that had been wrapped around the infant corpse's neck, telegrams about adoption arrangements, advertisements, and I can't even deal with this, letters from mothers asking about their children. Oh, God. That was the only time I was like, oh, fuck. Because I was just checked out during researching this. Like, I was was like, oh, yeah, no, and she killed 
a thousand bait. Like, I just couldn't, yeah. I just was not engaging with the subject matter at all. And I hope none of you are. But the let, I was just like, all of a sudden I was like, oh, fuck. And I almost started crying. And I'm crying now. Oh. They also discovered things packed away as if Dyer were about to move again. She had just moved earlier. Mm. That's too bad. It's not too bad. I'm glad that that I'm, I'm thrilled that she didn't move. <laughs> we're thrilled. Police arrested her and dredged the Thames looking for more bodies. They found six, all of which Dyer admitted to killing. Wow. She even told police... Oh, don't say wow yet. <laughs> she even told police that the white tape around their necks was how she could tell. <laughs> she was like, nope, that's one of my... <laughs> Fuck me up. That is so dark. So she went to trial, claimed insanity... Which was backed up by how many times she stayed in an asylum. But even with that, the jury was like, no dice. (laughs) They were like, you are a murderer. And she was hanged for murder on June 10th, 1896 at either 59 or 60 years old. No one's sure. It is estimated that she murdered between 300 (gasps) and 400 children. If not more. Oh my god. Yeah. I knew that you were like, you were like, oh, six. That's so bad. And I was like, nope. That is the estimation. Because in my brain, I was like, six there, you know, ten at every place she goes. Nope. Forty. Think about this, though. There's only three who the identities are fairly confirmed. Mm -hmm. But really think about this. These are women who, they're often extremely poor, so they don't have a lot of information linking to them anyways. But they come in, they don't use their own name. Mm -hmm. They're terrified. They're ashamed. They're scared that they're going to lose their job. They're scared that their families are going to find out. They get the money together to pay this woman. They leave their child and they leave. Mm-hmm. There is no way. And even if, you know, somebody knew that something was happening, sometimes women would come back and say, like, where's my baby? And they'd be like, oh, sorry. Like, no, they're gone. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't go to the police. No, they couldn't. Because they couldn't. Yeah. Which is horrible. It's yeah. just, it's upsetting to think about. But it's like, of course you don't have the names. Of course you don't know mm-hmm. who it is. Like, even in the mother and baby homes, a lot of it was able to be pieced together. There's an ex- I said this in the Magdalene Laundries episode, but there is an excellent article called The Lost Children of Chum in the New York Times. Mm. Spelled T-U-A-M, for people who don't know how that's spelled. Um, and it talks about a specific mother and baby home that was in Chum in Ireland and it was this huge scandal and so many children died there mainly of neglect and often of abuse but they had record they had some records yeah like they had records of the women who were there at least they had names like there was a way to piece it together this is just like a total fucking wash like total there's no way you could know yeah who these children were so it's just so sad it's so horrific it's so dehumanized it's not even sad. It's just like, what the fuck? Like, I yeah. can't even, I, I can't even. Oh my God. I can't even. And so many, probably so many women who like genuinely were like, okay, like maybe I've given my child a better life. Exactly. I couldn't provide for them, but this nice woman can. And like, they have no idea. They, they are just trying to do their best. And had no idea what happened. Yeah. It reminds me of, um, Eddie Izzard has a great, um, stand-up bit where he's like, you know, if you kill two people, you go to jail. If you kill 10 people... They just, like, put you in a room and look at you forever. But if you kill, like, more than that, everyone's just like, okay, good job. I mean, I can't <laughs> believe you did that. Like, you just can't, you can't imagine it. Like, yeah. you just can't imagine it. I can't imagine it. Me neither. Ogress of Reading. That's who that is. At the time, it was a huge scandal. 
and it inspired a popular ballad called The Ogress of Reading. Nice. Which goes a little something like this. Oh, I wish I had like a, like a, a, a lute. It's not a, I mean, it might be a song, but I don't know the tune. It's the old baby farmer, the wretched Miss Dyer, at the old Bailey, her wages is paid. I don't really know what that means. In times long ago, we'd have made a big fire and roasted so nicely that wicked old Jade. I love that. Just cook her. Just like a witch. Burn her like a witch. I mean, if anyone's a witch, it's probably this lady. Yeah. Yeah. No, I take that back because like most witches I know are nice are and chill, they just like yeah. have a lot of sage. Wouldn't burn babies. Wouldn't kill babies. In my experience. Yeah. So her crimes are well known and actually led to stricter adoption laws being enforced in England, which is good, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Some speculated that because she was active in England during the time of Jack the Ripper, um, during the time of the Jack the Ripper killings, that she was Jack the Ripper, who murdered young women through botched abortions mm. rather than actual murder. But that is not true. Yeah. It wasn't even, like, based on a hypothesis of, like, they were here at the same time. It was, like, it's just not true. It was, somebody just thought that would be a cool twist. Mm-hmm. So, that's the end. It's probably the worst. Do you think that's the worst thing I've ever talked about on the podcast? I mean, when you said that 300 babies got murdered, I was, like, wow. How do you top that? <laughs> yeah, I don't know how I could ever top that. I'll try. I mean, d- don't try. Well, I'll do my best. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll find someone who killed 500 babies. <laughs> Great. For this podcast. <laughs> Uh, no, I'll kidnap a thousand children before I let this company die. <laughs> um, great. <laughs> no, I think it's the worst. No, that's a full nightmare. What the fuck? The, t- the whole time I was writing it, I was like, I shouldn't talk about this. It's awful. Oh my god. But, um, we did it, and you were here listening to it, so you're just as bad as I am. Yep. You could have turned it off. You chose I not to. I told you at the beginning that you didn't have to listen to me talk about this, and here you are, I uh... assume. Unless you just cut right to this moment. <laughs> in which case, great timing. I can never do that in podcasts. Oh, no. No, yeah, me neither. Hey, horror honeys. We hope you're enjoying the show. If you are, we hope you'll subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow us on Twitter at I'm Horrified Pod. Your support means the world to us. And if you're not enjoying the show, why are you still listening? Maybe you do like the show. So that's that. Um, I all I want to do is talk about the Dramani paradox. <laughs> so how do we segue into this? Let's just let's so, you just know what's move worse right than over. killing babies. Zutara. No, I it's always like Zutara. Not true. I only like them on my rewatch. Okay, <laughs> this is here. We go. We're transitioning. We're segueing. it's a hard left, but we're doing. We're it. doing it. We opened this can of worms a couple weeks ago, and today we shut it. <laughs> Let's talk about tropes. Put a fucking lid on it. Fanfic. <laughs> and what you and I are officially dubbing the Dramini Paradox. History is being made right now. I really think it might be. I think it is. So as defined by me, <laughs> <laughs> the Dramini Paradox is what happens when fans of a thing, a book, a movie, a TV show, a board game, I don't know, start shipping the one of the primary heroes with one of the primary antagonists. And I think for the sake of this argument, let's say that these pairings are not canon, so they're not something that happens literally in the TV show or book or movie. Uh, But we can also open that definition up if we want to. It's something we're defining. It's either a heavy implication or a fabricated fan fiction plot. Yeah, I think so. 
So when starting this segment, I got to go to one of my favorite places on the internet, tvtropes.com. Yes. I go on tvtropes.com for fun when I'm bored at work. And I just random trope and read them. I just find them fascinating. Tropes are one of Sam's favorite interests. They really are. If you had a Tinder right now, it'd be like interests, (laughs) tropes, people telling me that I'm worthy. Yes. Soft hugs. Yes. And and hard hugs. Good quality socks. You have many interests. If I had another podcast, it would be about tropes. You love tropes. It really would. Um, I love them. So the fact that I got to be on tvtropes.com for a reason was thrilling to me. So I was looking for something else that was this. Right. I was like, there's no way we came up with it. Well, we, I feel like the internet has plumbed the depths. I feel like Feminist Frequency yes. or Lindsay Ellis, like somebody would have talked about this. Yeah, and I'm sure they have in, in, in bits and starts, but here are the two things that I found that were closest but still not quite right. So number one is called faux romance subtext. And as defined by TV Tropes, it is the implication of sexual tension between arch enemies. So there's another trope called Ho Yay, uh, which is about like um, uh, gay subtext between two characters. <laughs> Um, so it's saying, just like that, um, the, the situation... The Sherlock-Moriarty complex. There you go. The situation is implying romance where even the character's canonical sexual orientations make it implausible. This trope intentionally creates an even deeper paradox by subtextually implying love in a relationship that is textually the opposite of love. Right. So um, a couple of examples of this. Um, Crowley and Azurafiel from Good Omens, which came out recently as a TV show and... And people are pegging it as pretty gay. And people are like, already. That's that's that good shit. And they're like, we love it. Um, Tumblr's aflame. That's kind of this. Another one. Um, and I stand by watching the show. I liked it. There's a show on Netflix called She-Ra and the Princesses of Power. Um, and it's um, show run by Noelle Stevenson, who's like a very cool comic artist. I love her. That I used to be really into. Yes. So the main character in that, Adora, her, she was best friends with this girl, Catra, when they were both in, like, the Horde, the evil army. And then Adora leaves the Horde, and now they're enemies, but they have all this history. And every time they meet back up, it's like, oh my god, they're so mad at each other, but also they're flirting. They're flirting. Um, so that's the example. Um, the thing about faux romance subtext um, is that the, the most common examples of that are queer-coded relationships. Because for a long time, you couldn't put queer text on screen yeah that makes total sense it's like you're not gonna give us queer media we'll make our own yeah so it all had to be subtext even if the creators were like fucking maybe adore and catra will bone i don't know like you can't back in the now they probably could back in the day you couldn't ever really let them bone right let them bone (laughs) let Let them bone. bone um so that's that here's another trope that's close it's called dating catwoman Um, And that is when the hero of a show and one of the antagonists have romantic tone right out in the open. So there's no subtext. It's text. It's happening. Sexy flirting as you're walking around each other with knives. Exactly. Um, So it adds a degree of tension to the relationship. But the thing about this, the line you have to walk is that the, the antagonist can't be too much of a villain or else like we can't root for them. So it's like... You You can't be cutting off a civilian's head like, (laughs) looks like somebody's like got their, you know... exactly. Got their tail in a knot and Batman's like, what the fuck? Catwoman's like, don't lose your head over me, but she just like murdered Robin. sawing off somebody's head. (laughs) That doesn't work. They have to just be like, Catwoman's the perfect example because she just like steals jewelry. So it's like, that's not that bad. That's even kind of hot. Yeah, exactly. 
Uh, the, and again, like, the example of this is Batman and Catwoman, but it's in a lot of things. I, I, for some reason, I can't think of any examples, but I'm thinking of so many examples <laughs> just in the ether. I'm like, I know I have seen this so many yeah, times. absolutely. Um, and it's often, like, superhero shows and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, I think these two tropes are missing something that the Dramini paradox has in spades. And what that is, I really thought about this is the feeling that the hero is going to be able to fix or save the villain with their love. Yes. Both of these don't really address that. It's just, like, Catwoman stays Catwoman. It's not like, she's not like, I'm going straight for you, Bruce. Like, that's not something that happens. <laughs> I'm still gonna steal shit. It's <laughs> like, my favorite thing to do. I know you can buy me shit, but I'm still gonna steal Besides some. Besides fucking, it's diamonds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is a huge mood. But I think the thing about the Dramione paradox is that Either the, the the hero is going to save the villain with their love, or the villain's going to get better because they love the hero. And that's a trope that we see a lot in my preferred garbage, romance novels. Right. Uh, and it's called the morality chain. Uh, so again, let's go back to TV tropes. The morality chain is when a character, one character is the reason another character is good. Right. And the stereotypical example of this is that there's like a female love interest or maybe, like, the the anti-hero's mom. You know what I mean? Mm. And they are the only reason that this person has any morals or goodness. And if they were to die, this character would just go off the fucking rails. Right. Which that- is a problem unto itself. Yes. It's it's similar to um, Women in the Refrigerator, I think, yeah. in a lot of ways. Which is, I think it comes from a specific comic book example, but, like... Yeah, it's a Green Lantern. A ma- oh, yeah, Green Lantern finds his wife in the fridge or something yeah. like that. And it's like, oh, she's dead, so that's gonna... It's gonna... I think that is more specifically the death of a female family member or mm-hmm. partner, or in one case, Uncle Ben. Yeah. Throws you into your plot. Yes. Like, that is the plot catalyst. The death of a woman starts the plot. Yeah. And in, that's problematic, but it's kind of similar to this kind of Yeah, not. in Morality Chain, the woman doesn't have to die, but it's still problematic. It's like, I actually don't care at all about how murder is just bad. I won't murder because I love you. Yeah. And you don't like murder. Like, that's still <laughs> fucked up. She's like, that's too much of a burden for me <laughs> yeah. to be the reason. Yeah. The only reason you don't murder yeah. is just me. Um. So... That's where we're at on pre-existing tropes. Again, none of no one of these to me totally encapsulates the Dramini paradox, but I think they're a good base. Well, this is the good work that we're doing right now. Exactly. It's getting getting some definitions. I was about to try to shorten <laughs> definition, like definitions. Yes. Get that definition on. Yeah. It's, wor- it's not working. No, Just I continue. loved it. Um, so in the last episode where we talked about this, we immediately off the bat came up with three examples. They were, can you name them? Dramini. Absolutely. From Harry Potter. That's Draco, Malfoy, and Hermione Granger. Zutara. Zutara from Avatar The Last Airbender. That is Zuko, the Prince of the Fire Nation, and Katara, the Waterbender. Oh, which one? The man that neither of us can decide if he's hot. Oh, Raylo. Raylo. Ray and Kylo Kylo Ren. Ren. (laughs) From the new Star Wars trilogy. Is he hot or not? <laughs> Please tweet at us. Can we do a poll next week? Yeah, no, we should do a poll. <laughs> we should do a poll on Twitter. Is Adam uh, Driver hot? I don't... Well, this is something that we did the other day. We, like, Google image searched Adam Driver, and we were, like... It was, like, we were batting 500. Like, it yeah. was, like, this one's hot. No, not this one. I would say it's, like, 7 out of 10 images of Adam Driver. I'm, like, okay. Yeah. But then those three are like, I question everything. Yeah, I'm like, ugh. Like, I don't <laughs> like it. 
I don't mean to be rude. No. Because clearly I want to have sex with this man. Even on a day I didn't find him sexy, I'd still fuck him. Just to get the kind of, like, fractured images of the thing I do find hot. Yeah. He's not a thing. I feel like this is dehumanizing. I mean, he's a movie star. He's got millions of dollars. He's fine. He's a wife. Does he want to come on the show? (laughs) Huge fan of the show, Adam Driver. I would fucking die. Anyways, let's get back to these tropes. I'm not, that's all I'm going to think about from now on. Um, the other uh, trope that we, or the other pairing that you and I just brainstormed before this episode, we were like, is there anyone else who kind of fits this? And you came up with Sandor Clegane and Sansa Stark. That is a good one. From Game of Thrones. It's exactly the vibe we're it's, talking it's about right, right, right. When people ship them together, they call them Sam Sam. I had no idea that people ship them together. They really in reality. do. No, because sometimes I used to look at for a hot minute. I shipped um, like Sansa and Jon Snow, when I was like, "Well, they're only cousins. They're not brother and sister. The Maybe f- they can't." Watching fuck. too much Game of Thrones. I really was. Um, um I and I, when I was in those tags, I would be like, "Oh, what's Sansa?" And then I click it, and it was those two. And I was like, "Backspace, ah, backspace." Okay. And I said to you, "It is." Not canon, but in the book, she has, like, a sex dream about him. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to be one of the two who's like, I read the books. I read the first two books. But I think it's in the first one. Um, no, it's not. I just, I think I read that on Wikipedia. She, yeah. There is some. There is some implied ar- undercurrent in the book. Yeah. Sexually, I think in the TV series, it's much more, like, sibling dad dad. Yeah. Um, which is a better choice yes i think i would agree but it does fit right into this yes but so all four of these pairings what do they have in common there is a female hero and the man is the villain and she has to save him and fix him those are the things that happen to be in common i'm sure if we really thought about it we could come up with examples of queer ships that do this ships where the woman is the villain and the man you know what i mean but like it seems to me the proto-example of this is some heteronormative lady has to fix a man. I think it's also I, an important part of that. I don't want to get in too far because you're going to do it. But, like, I think part of it is that, like, that's not in Harry Potter. Yeah. There's none of that in the text. Mm-hmm. But it's this social amoeba that comes in and pulls this trope out of text. Yes. And really runs away with it. Absolutely. That's what's happening here. Like, people want that out of a standard text. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what we're talking about. Am I right? Yes. Got it. Well, let's talk about the Psychology Today article I read called Loving Broken Men. Hunties. (laughs) We all been there. So, it talked about how in relationships like these, usually toxic relationships like these, there is a rescuer and there is a person with so much potential. Like, that's yes. how that's how they're thinking of themselves, right. right? And most often in the world, the rescuer is a woman and the person with so much potential is a dude. Everyone always thinks that men have all this potential. And I'm like, I don't know if that's true. Maybe they don't. <laughs> Maybe, Maybe they, they don't have as don't. much potential as we think. So according to the guy who wrote this article, whose name is Dr. Seth Myers, which I found hilarious. Um, I love that. I just think about Late Night with Dr. Seth Myers. Bring me that content. <laughs> so, um, Seth Meyers says, The rescuer focuses on and worries about her partner more than he does about himself. 
Repeatedly, she finds herself with partners who at first seem sweet and have tremendous potential, but before long reveal themselves to be emotionally volatile or unstable, aggressive and controlling, unhappy, or unable to cope with some aspect of their lives. You might ask yourself why a woman would stay with someone like that. For the rescuer, she values love and relationships above all else. When she commits, she is fiercely loyal and she will die trying to help him realize his true potential. The thing that really stuck with me about this is for these women, love is about work and sadly suffering in the end. Mm, Right? Yep. This was so interesting to me because I do feel like there's this like cultural narrative of like love is work. Love is struggle. Love is like just making it work no matter what's happening because you love them. Yeah, sometimes you shouldn't make it work. Yeah, and it's like love should be effortful. Love yeah. should be, you know, a, it should a be commitment an, an and a choice. commitment yes. to each other. But it, should it be a desperate slog through shit? No. <laughs> shouldn't. I don't know that it should. No. Um, so, and then the other thing that stuck with me was, like, for the rescuer, she values love and relationships above all else. So let's go back to text versus, like, the stuff that fandom is putting on these. In all of those texts we just listed, maybe with the exception of Sansa and Game of Thrones, but her story's not over yet in the books, um, are those heroines valuing love above all else in their stories? Are they people who are looking for a romantic connection? No, really they're not. They're not, yeah. That's not something that, you know, at least the initial three of them ever really value textually. And starkly so. Yeah. Stark. But no, like very, if very purposefully so, Mm -hmm. they are almost devoid of that as a choice from the creator of like, this is not what I'm about. I'm not about falling in love with, my cohorts, Katara a little bit. Yeah. Well, um, all three of them have romantic relationships. Rey is debatable because it's like, do you believe in the subtext of The Last Jedi? That This bitch does. I know you do. I do too. But I'm just saying, like, that <laughs> one's kind of the most yeah. debatable. But, like, but Hermione has romantic relationships and so does Katara with yeah, a few people. Yeah, but it's very secondary yeah. in a great way. Yes. And it's almost like we can't help but do this. Yeah. Like, we can't help but pull this into the narrative. Exactly. And I just think it's like gender role shit getting in our brains. Um, So I just want to take you through like a scenario right now, because here's Mm -hmm. why I think we're all into the Dramini paradox. And I'm saying like, I ship two out of three of the guys that I've just mentioned. Like, I've never gotten Dramini. That hasn't been for me, but I know it really is for a lot of people. I used to. There you go. Yep. That was never my scene. I always was just straight up Ron and Hermione. I was like, yep, that's the right pairing. And a lot of people do Harry Hermione, but I just see them as friends. I hate that. A lot of people are really like, she should have ended up with a Harry. I don't like that. And J.K. Rowling one time was like, maybe she should have ended up with Harry. And I was like, no. Wrong. 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 Anyways. Wrong. Guh. Imagine this. Imagine this scenario for me. You meet a handsome man with a huge scar on his face because his dad burned him in a ritual combat. (sighs) (laughs) You and he don't agree on anything. Ever. Ideologically, you're opposites. But one time, he saves your friend while he's wearing a blue spirit mask, and you're like, there's so much potential there. (laughs) So, you invite him in. You force him to gain empathy for other people. You trust him, even though he's dangerous to you, your friends, and the whole world if he goes back on his old ways. You put up with all the shit he pulls to help him process his relationship with his dad, and then it works. 
He's just as sexy as he was when you were enemies, but the hours of work you have put into this guy has paid off because he has somehow learned empathy late in life and agrees to just agree with you on everything and worship you because you made him realize the error of his ways. Are you horny right now? Yeah. that oh, scenario yeah. works for me. I don't think there's anything that revs my engine quite like, like, getting to access the fruits of my labor. Yeah. <laughs> that, my friends, is the Germani paradox. Yes. The idea that in this, in these scenarios, a girl, but any person could be so awesome and badass that they could do the thing no real human person can do and fix a sexy guy's problem with their love. Yeah. That's, that makes any human horny, the idea of being able to do that, you know? And I think we've explored, like, the bad boy. This is different. Yeah. This is, it's sexy to think that you have power Mm -hmm. over another person. Mm -hmm. And someone who's had power over you because they were cruel to you or they were evil Maybe they're running a galactic empire that you don't agree with and they killed their dad. But you're so great. It's like, what's that? Um, <laughs> Luke Skywalker couldn't get you to deal with the Force in the right way? What if I could and then we boned? Yeah. That is hot. That's Dramine, That's the Dramine paradox. Mm-hmm. That is, I think, why so many people ship these types of ships. I think we've cracked it as a team. I think we have. And it's bad because we shouldn't as people be idealizing these relationships that we could never have because you cannot force someone to learn empathy late in life if they don't want to. Like, they just will never... Yeah. Like, I don't know. It just, it like bummed me out when I got to like, oh, this is why I ship Zutara. But also, that's bad. Like, I think it's also... A little sinister in the sense that, in theory, these are not unwilling participants, because in the fan fiction, they're usually, like, into it. Yes. But canonically, it wouldn't happen because they have a real disinterest in this person. Yes. Or they fundamentally disagree with this person in important ways that can't be just thrust under the rug. And is it okay to fictionally bypass that character's core yeah to make it sexy yes why is it sexy to bypass their ethics yeah why is it easy to violate their character arc Mm -hmm. in that way for the sake of sexuality yeah i think that might be something too yeah it's called and then like on the other hand i'm like write whatever fan fiction you ever want to write you know what i mean like it's a hard and i like like it's i'm telling you I'm on the record as Raylo gets me hot and bothered. Absolutely. Like, I don't even know what to do with myself. Yeah. I just rewatched The Force Awakens. Yeah. No, what's what's the hot one? The Last Jedi. That one. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> I don't think anyone's referred to that as the hot one. <laughs> um, the real hot one is any of the stuff with... Um, R2-D2. Han. No, <laughs> yes. Han and Leia. Uh, um, I think we're all just missing the steam from Han and Leia. Maybe. Han and Leia, even, they're like a canon example of this in a lot of ways. Yeah, but they, to me, they were always set up, because this is the thing, is that there is that, like, playful oil and water, like, yeah. I hate you, I hate you more, let's, let's make, make out, out about it. Yeah. That feels different than this. than this. And I think a big part of it is the non-canon part of this. This is purely something the audience, the fans, are placing onto. Yeah. 
Even if, like, you could argue, right, in, a, in Avatar, Zuko has a redemption arc. He ends the story a much better person than And he with became. his own Fire Nation girlfriend. Absolutely true. May, who is great. She seems great. She has a bunch of knives. I love her. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, you could argue, like, well, I'm writing my Zutara story, and that arc's already happened, and he's a good guy. Like, absolutely. Like, there's something there. There's something about, you know, in The Last Jedi, a lot of people read The De- Last Jedi as... Very clearly, they're hinting at a romantic relationship, barely hinting, telling you about a romantic relationship that could exist between Rey and Kylo Ren. His shirt was off. It was. And they talked about it. And they touched hands. They touched hands in a sexy way. And they were both, like, panting as they did it. I don't know what else to say to you people. (laughs) I'm gonna let it go. I know. For now. But, like, so, like, you know, you can argue the candidness of a couple of these things, but there is the underlying feeling of, like, we take these characters who would never date... Or at least would have to do a lot of stuff to date. And then we're like, but what if they bone? And 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 maybe we do that because of our stuff. Yeah. As a culture, as people. Why do we need to force a toxic male redemption narrative down the throats of even the most unwilling of female characters? Absolutely. Can I ask you to do something? Yeah. Would you be able to summarize the Germani paradox in one sentence? Ugh. Yes. Take a minute. Write it down if you need to. I just want a takeaway mm-hmm. if you have one. Or we could work on it. You could take a minute. I, I could think... check some emails. <laughs> I, I would need to make a word cloud and stuff like that. <laughs> I think the Dramini paradox is... This is so hard. I know. It's hard. It's hard to get it down to one sentence. It's, it's a ship, a non-canon ship. Shit, this is so hard to get it it's down to really one sentence. really hard, but I think we need to. I think we need to. Wait, what's the first part? We're going to figure it out. Let's figure it out. Should we pause the podcast? No, I think we're good. We're going to keep it all for science when this becomes a literary term. <laughs> Absolutely true. This is the process of figuring it out. I just feel, yeah, I just feel like we're, we need to stab into the heart of it. Absolutely. Do you know what I mean? So it's a, it's a non-canon ship. I think that's important. Non-canon romantic ship. Romantic ship. Good. Between a hero or heroine mm-hmm. and a villainous or antagonistic character counterpart. Yeah. In which... In which it is solely the hero or heroine's love for the villain that turns them good. But does that, is that part of it? Is that always part of it? I feel like in most of the stories... But what if it, what if it's just fucking? What if it's all just fucking, though? I don't think it's just fucking. I think the Dramatic Paradox is... I think it very often begins as just fucking. But there's more there. But it becomes more because of the potential. You know what I mean? There's the idea of, like, he would be so great if he just wasn't a racist against muggles. Right. Yeah. And then, like... Because they're always villainous because they're bad. There's yeah. a bad thing about them. So it's, like, through this romantic relationship, they lose the bad thing about them. So, like, Draco's like, Hermione, now that we've had sex, I get that muggles are people, too. <laughs> right. That's simplifying it. But that's a lot of stories. You know, it's... Star- I do feel like there's a lot of these that start as, like enemies with benefits that grow into a relationship because they're like uh when we were snuggling after that sex i realized that maybe i shouldn't have killed my dad 
Maybe I shouldn't be on a revenge fight against my brother for burning my face. Wanted to throw Sandor in there. That's good. All right, so we just took some time. We, we just shut the podcast off and took some time, and I think we have... A definition. A definition. One definition. One definition. Sam, give it to the people. All right, you guys. Have you been wondering what the Dramini Paradox is? We figured it out. The Dramini Paradox is a non-canon romantic ship between a hero or heroine and an antagonistic counterpart, which hinges on the ethical transformation of the latter through the expectation or labor of the former, often hypersexualized in nature. I think that's it. I think that's it. I think that separates it from just, like, the bad boy. Yeah. It separates it from... Dating Catwoman. Dating Catwoman. Because, again, Catwoman keeps stealing those diamonds. That's what we're getting at. Yes. And that is the Dramini Paradox. And you'll be hearing about it when we receive our Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> and I'm horrified and horny, as I often am at the, at the end of these podcasts. That's, I mean, <laughs> that's a constant for me. That should be some merch that we sell. Yeah. Horrified and horny. <laughs> Hornified. No, Whoa. that sounds like that's episode sixty nine. Stop everything. I'm hornified. I'm hornified. Oh my god, we did it! <laughs> Thank God, guys, we went on such a journey today, and there's still a little bit further to go. We have a little bit further to go. So, um, we've given this listener a shout out before, but um, longtime fan Mary Elizabeth gave us a suggestion on Twitter. That we should call this listener segment, You're Horrified. Yeah. We love that. We're going with it. Yes. So episode 67, You're Horrified. This week, our great friend. Friend of the pod. Friend of the podcast, Patrick Dugan of Are We There Yet fame. Absolutely. Which is a podcast about um, anime that we co-hosted. We appeared we were, on once. We were, co- we were guests of this podcast. We didn't co-host it. We did no work, but we were on that podcast. It was a great time. We watched that anime. We talked about Perfect Blue. Um, so Patrick wrote in to us um, with a terrible listener story, so oh, I will no. share it with you now. Okay. Oh, no, Patrick. All right, Patrick. Hey, gang. I wanted to share the event that really solidified that I needed to move out of my last shitty apartment. Oh, God. One Saturday night, I was home alone playing a spooky video game and paused to do some chores and take out the trash. I walked into the parking lot to the dumpster, and I saw an open blue igloo cooler sitting next to it. Most days, the dumpster is too full to fit all the building's trash, so I had gotten used to random debris collecting on the side. Walking closer, I get ready to throw my trash bag on top of the trash pile, when the contents of the cooler caught the side of my eye. The cold remains of a three-foot lizard, (gasps) tail spilling out of the side of the cooler. (laughs) What? Dead eyes open and staring blankly at me. Watched as I threw the trash bag wildly, missing the (laughs) dumpster as I fled from the scene as fast as possible. I had to return with a broom to push the cooler out to the sidewalk because sanitation couldn't pick it up unless it was on the street. Oh my god. That apartment was a gross nightmare. But knowing that one of my neighbors wasn't a guana-killing maniac really sealed the deal. Oh, my God. That <laughs> was horrible. That was absolutely someone who killed their roommate's lizard. And they were just like, <gasps> we need to get it out of here. Because otherwise they would have had a, more, a proper they burial. They would have lovingly. Yeah, respectfully thrown it in the garbage. Yeah. Oh, that's horrible. Thanks, I Patrick. hate dead things more than anything, so that's a nightmare for me. This must be a rough episode for you. Yeah. <laughs> well, just seeing them. I can listen all day. Oh, yeah, that's fair enough. <laughs> Oh, I feel like I've run a marathon. Yeah, wow. Always at the end of these, I feel 
tapped out. Yeah, this is why I don't work out, probably. Yeah, this is... <laughs> Not because of my general laziness. Yeah. But, you know, because is... I'm getting the workout here. Yeah, I feel like I'm sweating. Yeah. My heart is racing. Absolutely. I can't really breathe, and I need water. That's exactly how I feel when I start a workout, you yeah. know? <laughs> <laughs> so we hope that you all feel exactly that way. Absolutely. Um, and until next week, we hope you stay horrified. Stay horrified. Stay horrified.